You're listening to audio from The Village Church. If you'd like to check out more resources or donate to this ministry, please visit tvcresources.net. Good morning, church. My name is Roman May, and I serve as one of the coordinators for Little Village and for VBS, and I also sing in the choir. This morning, I will be reading Colossians chapter 1, verses 15 through 20. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him, all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Okay, look at that. All right. I don't even get that. Are you serious right now? Anyway, hey, if you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn there. Uh, I, will, I will say we're, that that's kind of a jumping off point. I, I want to kind of establish the preeminence of Christ. And then I've got a, a lot of other texts I, I want to show you uh, as we consider uh, and look at. If you were here last week, we started one of what will be three sermons uh, around generosity and money. Uh, and so if this is your first time, you can breathe out. I'm not taking an offering. You don't got to clutch nothing. I ain't trying to get in your pocket. Uh, I'm saying what Jesus is saying in that money's actually a spiritual matter and reveals more about your heart than anything else in your life, more than your behavior, more than your background, more than your, what you spend your time and money on reveals what you actually love most. That, that's just what the book says. Uh, and so we started that last week. I, I want to talk a little bit more about it today. And then two weeks from now, we're going to look at kind of practically what does that look like? What are tithes? What are offerings? How, how do you operate like that? And even then, I'm not taking one up. Uh, all right. I'm, I'm after what Jesus is after, which is your soul, not your money. God, God don't need no money. I got him hemmed in by your like 50 bucks. I mean, he doesn't need it. Right. But he does desperately love you and wants you to have a kind of wealth that money won't buy. Well, I'm getting ahead of myself. Before we dive into all of that, um, the kind of church that we want to be, uh, and I think the kind of church that we are, that is one that in every resource imaginable, we, we hold it all with just an open hand. That like we, we don't grasp hold of staff members and go, if they leave, we fall apart because we don't believe that. Uh, even dear good friends of mine that I've walked with. So we're always saying goodbye to people. I mean, we did it with Jillian just a second ago. She's not leaving the church. She's just rolling off staff. But there's been a lot lately where we've gone, hey, th- this person's been a key piece of what makes the village the village. And God's called them on and, and praise God. The second we clutch our fists around things, we show that we think we know better than, than the king. And I'm, I, I just think that's a bad culture to set. Um, several years ago, about four years ago now, we started a strategic partnership um, with an organization called Launch Go- Global. Uh, Launch Global, um, they're, they're men and women that raise their own support and then they embed in the life of a church for a season to mobilize men and women towards mission. That's what they do. Uh, so they come in, we've got a large group of, uh, of those men and women with us. Again, they raise their own support and then join our staff. That's a 
brilliant strategic partnership for us, right? And they have raised up from among us men and women that are going to the ends of the earth. But, but there are times where those men and women actually then get called and leave also. And so I, I want to celebrate uh, some of those this morning. Uh, one is from Launch Global and another young woman just was raised up through our sending program and is heading out too. Uh, and so this is Carlos and Abby. Why don't you guys come and join me out here? It's Carlos and Abby. Carlos is headed down to Austin, uh, and, and really what God has put on Carlos's heart is to mobilize among ethnic minorities to the ends of the earth. Uh, and so he's got a great opportunity to do that down there, and he's heading down uh, to that end, and I couldn't be more pumped for him. You have made our church a stronger, better community of faith. Thank you. And then Abby here, Beastly Abby, is heading to Japan, to Tokyo. 1% Christian, which means if you've ever visited Japan and you're a Christian, you're probably the only Christian they ever ran into over there. And Abby's going to join a team over there uh, and going to share the gospel with men and women. She's been raised up from within and is heading out. And so what I want to do is I want to bless these two. Uh, God's funded them. Uh, they have strengthened what we want to most be here at the village. And, and now they're heading on to do what God's asked them to do. And I, I couldn't be more pumped, although I would like to have both of you a little bit longer, but that stuff's in the Lord's hands. And so I want to bless them. Here's, here's how you can uh, partner with me in doing that. If you just extend your hand to them, it's not magic or anything. We're just saying we're with you. Uh, and God doesn't care if that, that starts to burn and you switch out midway through the prayer. God just takes you as you are. We're not all in the same kind of athletic shape, but let, let's pray here uh, and we'll go from there. If you're at home, you can extend that t- towards the TV or device. Let's just do it. All right. Father, I bless this man and this woman in the name of Jesus. I do thank you that right now there's a Japanese man or woman who has no idea who you are, maybe has never heard the name of Jesus, who's going to worship with us forever because of Abby's faithfulness, her willingness to to leave what's comfortable and known to her and step into your plan for her life. And I, and I thank you that right now there's some young man, young woman at the University of Texas or um, you know, the other universities that are down there and they, 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 your gospel's so small to them. They don't see it as global. They don't see it as eternal. And through their friendship with Carlos and his zeal for your kingdom, their, their understanding of who you are is gonna expand and to the ends of the earth they'll go. And so we bless your name. We thank you for these two. We thank you for how they've shaped our community of faith. Uh, We ask that uh, you replace them in a way in this place as you lead them on to what's next for them. God, I pray that this place would always feel a little bit like home to them, like a home base, like an Antioch in Acts 13, that when they come back and tell, tell tales, we would rejoice and laugh and celebrate with them. Bless them now in the name of Jesus. Amen. Love you guys. We thank them one more time. Over the last uh, couple of weeks, Lauren and I have have tried to create some space uh, to talk about what feels to be, for us, a unique season in our lives. Um, Our kids are, like, maybe maybe this is the way to frame it, Um, we we are five years away from being empty nesters. Um, And here's what I can promise you, we will be heartbroken when they leave for a bit. And then 
Listen, man, so into your marriage, not just them kids. Tell you, it's, you want to re, get reacquainted with your spouse, right? So, man, we, we're great friends. We're like, <laughs> high five on a plane. So I love you. I love you. I'll miss you, Nora. Great. So we've got that going on. We've got that going on. Um, we've got um, an eight-year run here at the village to get to the 2030 vision. I'm not saying that's the end of my run. I'm saying we, we're, we're running. Our calendar's full. We got eight years to fulfill this thing that the spirit put in our heart. And we're serious about that. And, and then I've got a couple of books I'm working on. Lauren's got some. And, and, and so we wanted to sit out and, and look at it like, like uh, time and, and money. How, how are we managing the, the next five years with all these things going on? How do we organize so that we don't miss what we don't want to miss? And that we step into what God actually has for us in this season. Uh, and, and to do that, uh, we, we kind of have always operated by just a, a simple principle, right? I mean, it's just how we do it. When we sit down and we talk about the billions of balls that are in the air that we're trying to juggle and catch this one right before this one hits the ground. And we think about our lives and how we want to spend our lives and what we want our lives to be about. The, the single first principle for us is uh, a, a glad surrender to Jesus as preeminent and his kingdom. So we want our lives, all of it, to be about Jesus and the kingdom. And what I mean by that, if you're hearing me say, oh, you've got a priority list and Jesus is number one and family is number two and the church is number three and you're hearing me wrong. Jesus is not our first priority. He is the paper that our priority is written upon. Priorities can change based on circumstances, pains, losses, needs, desires. Those priorities are shifting all the time. I'm saying that Jesus is the paper. And so how do we honor Jesus and the kingdom over the course of the next five, eight, ten years when there's so much that we don't want to miss and we want to be a part of? Like I, I got basketball and football and jujitsu and, and all sorts of things that I, I'm not missing with my kid. I'm, I'm there. So, so how do you do that? And, and then uh, the way we always do it is like, let's look at these two things, time and money. Because time and money shows what's preeminent in your life. So, so how do we sit back and look at time and money? So Lauren and I, Elsie and I, we've been working on that. How do we look at the next eight years, the next 10 years? How do we, how do we maximize the season that we're in for King Jesus and his kingdom? And, and really, when we talk about money, that's what we're talking about. We, we said last week, if you missed it, um, that, that money actually is, is a lot more spiritual then, then we give it credit for. In fact, Jesus is always going to talk about money like it's spiritual and not just like it's a commodity. And we talked about the oddity of money, that it, it really does have a strange power over us as, as human beings. Like new stuff makes us feel like better people. You remember that? I don't know if you were here. Like, like you get something new, you feel like a better person. Man, you ain't a better person. He's got new pants. But you get them new pants on. You're like, you know what? I'm doing all right. You get a new phone, you get a new car, you get a new house, you get new stuff. Even small new things, they make us feel better about ourselves for a moment, don't they? That's spiritual. That's spiritual. The compulsion to shop when you're stressed, angry, lonely, that target twice a day 
every day during the week. There's something to that. I, ain't, I listen. I ain't, I ain't trying to drop no bombs. My wife's in there. I'm being careful. <laughs> There's something like what what's happening in the compulsion to I I need to buy something. I, I, I need, so there's, there's a spiritual reality to money. When Jesus addresses money, he's always addressing spiritual realities, but we don't think about money as a spiritual thing at all. We, we just think about money as, as money. And, and yet few things, few things play the role as idol in our lives, like our money. We think it can protect us. We think it can save us. We, we think we can control our environment with it. And, and, and ultimately, it, it has us on a treadmill running without ever being able to catch it. And, and so I just want to do what Jesus does here, which is kind of lay out the spiritual reality of money and, and then talk about how to rightly think about it. And then in two weeks, we're going to talk about the application of that regarding tithes and offerings. But for now, I love this uh, Corinthians or Colossians 1 passage because it's, it's, ta- it's kind of painting a picture of who God is. You see in these five verses that, that God um, can't be surprised that, that God is never, it's never just occurred to God. Are you tracking with me on that? that like you and I, things like click, we're like, I never thought of it that way. That's never happened to God. Uh, God, he, he's never been surprised by everything, never needed to huddle up in his triune nature and figure out what went wrong. God is, as the theologians say, he is omniscient. We also see in this passage that, that he doesn't change, that God can't get better or worse. The theologians call this immutability, that he, he doesn't change. This is huge news for you and I, because when we say that Jesus knew what he was buying on the cross. When we say that God's love for us, forgiveness and grace is not predicated upon our behavior, but on what God has done. We're celebrating his immutability. Can you imagine if God could change how terrible that would be? How would we ever have any confidence that, that his word is true? He might just simply change his mind. He's God almighty. What would we do? Well, he's immutable. So we rest in his goodness and grace. I say it all the time. Jesus doesn't regret saving you. He doesn't have, like he doesn't see you now and wish he could have a mulligan. Doesn't see you and it's like, this is not what I was bargaining for 2,000 years ago. That's not what's going on. He's immutable. We see that in this passage. We also see that he doesn't overlook sin, that he's holy and just, that he never pats us on his, our head and say, that's okay, buddy, don't worry about it. No, he's holy and he's just. And the thing I want to kind of dial in on is this single idea or word there in verse 18, where it says that in everything he might be preeminent. One of the things that Jesus will not be is second. You tracking with me? Like Jesus will not be second. He is the King of Kings and Lord of Lords, and he takes no one's table scraps. He takes no one, you got an hour on Sunday. That, that is not who we're talking about here. No, we, we are talking about uh, the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, co-eternal with the Father. And he doesn't fit on your priority list of when I get around to it or he'll get the best I can. That's not how this works. In fact, we see that God is first. And before anything was, he was And everything that is, he spoke into being. And that means some things. 
Genesis 1.1 says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. So there was nothing except God. And he spoke. And in every direction, the universe continues to expand to this very day. That's a powerful speaking into existence. Everything there is was born of the word of his mouth. He was first. We, we also see in John 1, 1 through 3, that, that Jesus is there in the beginning. The Son of God is there in the beginning. This says, uh, John 1, 1 through 3, In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God, and all things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. Now, now one of the implications of this is that God doesn't care what you think about him. Here's what I mean by that. Like we as created beings up and against an infinite creator, we don't get to define him. He gets to define us. Are you tracking with me on that? Like we don't get to say, and when you say, well, I want to worship a God that's this, this, and this, that has no bearing on who God is. Your opinion of God does not affect God's godness. Nor does he ever feel a lot of pressure to conform to your janky image of him. Which, by the way, isn't it ironic that your image of God normally looks a lot like you? You ever thought about that? Like how you want God to be and look, looks strangely like you think the world should look. That, that you think the, the world should work like this. That's the kind of God that God should be. Just, he doesn't, I love you, look at me. He doesn't care what you think about him in that way. He's not like, oh, I'm not fashionable enough for you. Well, let me change who I am in order to fit your need. That's not who we're talking about here. He was first. He is the creator. He then is the one that we must conform to. Not he conformed to us. He was first. And then I love this reality. Not only was God first, but, but then he went first. Here's what I mean by that. Look at Romans 5.8. I'll put it on the screen. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. I love this. Look at, let's make some eye contact. While you were still a sinner, not when you cleaned yourself up, not when you pulled yourself up by your bootstraps, not when you stopped doing this and started doing this while you were still a sinner, Christ died for you. Now, now I think this is the best news in the universe. And, and what it means is not that you move towards Jesus, but that Jesus moved towards you. See, while you were a sinner, Christ died for you. Not when I realized, I, like th this is God saves. God went first. You didn't love him first. He loved you first. And if you love him at all, he empowered and made that happen. Let me show you that. You're asking, well, where's that in the Bible? Great. First John four nineteen. We love because he first loved us. You have any affection for Jesus in your heart? You didn't do that. God gave that to you, right? You were saved by grace alone, through faith alone, by no act of your own doing. I know we got different backgrounds here and some of you are like, well, I don't know. 
Like I, I heard a sermon once and one of those guys was like, hey, excuse me, excuse me. And I came out in the aisle and I came out and I grabbed a guy's hand and I was like, hey, I, 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 I want to say yes to Jesus. And we prayed a little prayer and then I became a Christian. Well, okay, but if you can become a Christian through the repeated incantation of someone else, aren't we witches? No, see, something happened in your seat. That compulsion to I've got to do something is actually the Holy Spirit igniting faith in your heart. Like you don't save you. He saves you. You didn't decide to love him. He opened your eyes to his beauty so that you might love him. Are you trying to It's Jesus that went first. God went first. You didn't go first. So in some sort of bartering deal where you're going to give him these things and he's going to give you these things. That's not who we're talking about here. He was first and he went first. And, and then he, he went first by the giving of his son. Like, you know, this one, this is John three sixteen. for God. So loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. And on into 17, that Christ has not come into the world to condemn the world, but rather save the world from condemnation. Do you hear it? This is God moving towards you. You have not moved towards him. He has moved towards you. If you believe in him, He was the one that rescued you, ransomed you, saved you, picked you up out of the muck and the mire and set your feet upon a rock. I'm quoting Psalm 40. Some of you are like, that's you too, isn't it? No, it's King David, (laughs) right? Set your feet. It it was God that that moved first and, and he gave to you first before you gave anything he gave to you. There's no relationship with God without the sending of the son. You can't fix yourself by moral betterment. You need a savior. And God makes a way by what? Giving us Jesus, the sending of the son. God is first and he went first and he requires our first and best. Look at this. This is Exodus 20, two through three. I am the Lord, your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt. Hey, look at me. We're all from Egypt. You tracking with me? We're all from Egypt. All of us enslaved by sin and death. I am the Lord, your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. Now, um, I I think we probably suffer from what C.S. Lewis calls chronological snobbery. And what Lewis meant by that is we have a tendency to look back at the past and then think we're better than those people. And, and you might not be worshiping some golden monkey or something like that. Oh, but there's idols here. And, and money and wealth in particular are the primary idol of the Western world. And the comfort and power they buy. He goes on from there in Matthew 6, and says, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. And then Solomon in Proverbs says this to us, Proverbs 3, 9 through 10, honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of your produce. Then your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will be bursting with wine. I can get down with that. Anybody want their barns to burst? Their vats to explode? Anybody want that? I want that. I got my hand up. I don't even know what that means, but give me an exploding vat, a full barn. Like I see that. So how does the Bible tell me to get there? 
Well, look at it. It says, honor the Lord with your wealth and bring to him the first fruits and then your barns will be full and your vats will burst with wine. Now, that's a little prosperity gospel isn't it? Anybody paying attention to that? Now, now here's where, here's where I, I think the prosperity gospel is anathema. It's a scourge on the church of Jesus Christ. The prosperity gospel would say that if you do what you're supposed to do, God's going to bless you with wealth, health, and prosperity all the days of your life. It's going to teach that you can put God in your debt. That if you do these things, God will do these things. And you might have seen some of these well-meaning brothers, I, I'm giving them the benefit of the doubt, well-meaning brothers, on TV that are like, if you sow into this, this is what you're going to get. I even heard a man say one time, who do you think God made first class for, the devil and his people? You hear it? That's prosperity. It's like, yeah, you're, gonna, you're supposed to be healthy and wealthy because you're God's people. So, so that's prosperity gospel. It's evil, demonic, wicked. You don't get to put God in your debt. That's why we're covering his, like his, his preeminence. You can't manipulate God like that. Like he's a genie in the bottle. Like you ring a bell and an errand boy comes and gives you what you want. Could you worship that? I ain't worshiping no bell boy. But in circles like us, it's not the prosperity gospel. It then becomes a poverty gospel. What's being promised in this moment is that if you and I see Jesus as preeminent and we bring our first and best, you know, that's what a tithe, a tithe, not 10%, a tithe is your first and best. That's what it is. And that's why I said to you last week, everybody in this room's tithing. I just don't know what you're giving your first and best to. You're giving your first and best to something. You're giving the best of your time, the best of your money. You're giving it somewhere. I just don't know where it is. Everyone does this. And the proverb says, if you bring it to God, your first and best, and you lay it at his feet, then your barns will be full and your vats will burst. Here's the difference between the prosperity gospel and what I'm talking about right now is the prosperity gospel is me first and this is you first. The prosperity gospel is I am preeminent. Let me do these things so I can get more money, so I can be more comfortable, so I can be healthy. Let me use God to get what I actually want. This is your preeminent. So I'm laying this in because it's all yours anyway. And the promise here isn't necessarily financial wealth, although that's possible. The promise here and really the teaching here is that Jesus is the more that you're looking for. Look at me. The promise here is that Jesus is the more that you're looking for. Right? You, you just got to hear me say it. I, I'm looking around and by and large, I'm trying to get you off the treadmill. You've lived long enough, most of you, to experience the elation of the next level only for it to give way to normalcy and desire the next level. You with me? Like you're like, man, I'd really like a home one day. And you, you got your first, you got out of that apartment. Got that house, you're like, this is incredible. I can't believe it. I just signed my name 8,000 times. I have no idea what I just agreed to. I'm just, just someday, somebody's gonna show up at my house and just take one of my kids. I'm like, where are you going? I'm like, right here, buddy. You said, 
right? You're like there and there and there. And they try to explain it. This just means, and they speak a different language, like a tongue or something. And you just sign, just like, I want that key. And you got a new, and it felt so amazing. In fact, this, this is more than you ever dreamed for a bit. And then like a buddy of yours got a house with a playroom, like a playroom. And, and I'm asking, honestly, when did that happen? Like we, <laughs> Miles just had a room that a couple of us were in. It was the playroom and the entertainment room and the bedroom and the study. And it was just that, that, that room. But do you see, do you hear what I'm talking about? There's just like, okay, that was awesome. And, and now there, there's, I, I, I'm, it's normal now. So I need what's next. This is the treadmill that we get stuck on. Just perpetually believing that that next bump, that next level is going to be the thing that satisfies us. And what happens when we're stuck there and we don't see money as spiritual and we get stuck on that treadmill, that the next new home, or if I could just get a lake house, if I could just get a, well, whatever it is, I don't know what it is. We're in different socioeconomic ranges, even in this, it it, it could be all over the map here. Uh, Especially if you're watching, we're primarily in a white collar area. So there are specific dreams to white collar areas. Right, and we've got those, and, and when that becomes the driver, our first and best go to that direction. But Jesus is the more you're looking for, and and that's the argument here. Hey, make me preeminent. the The first fruits in an ag culture would have required an immense amount of faith. Like, what happens if it doesn't rain next year? What happens if a drought comes in? first and best to the Lord. I can't control any of that. You do. I'm trusting you. And, and then we lay it at his feet and we trust. And, and God doesn't have a problem with wealth. Here, look at me. God doesn't have a problem with wealth. And in fact, I've said to you all the time, I want you to be crazy successful. I want you to run the company. Like I know what lost people do with cash and I know what you'll do with it, right? Like you're crazy generous. You push back the the darkness. You have established ministries. You work with the least of these. You're incredibly generous people. So I want you to run the company. I want you to get that bonus. God doesn't hate money. He, He just says, you can't love it like you love him. That no man can serve two masters. You will love one and hate the other. You will serve one and despise the other. And this is why me talking like this bothers some of you. Because you want me out of your pocket and I hadn't touched your pocket. I'm telling you what the book says about preeminence and first and best. And that you right now are giving your first and best to something. You are tithing to something. And Solomon here is saying, do that to the Lord. That thing you want that you can't seem to get, that thing you've been chasing after for however many years, it's found here, not there. There won't be a neighborhood that finally soothes your soul. There there won't be a kind of car. In fact, with those things comes a great deal of worry. Um, We recently got Lauren a new car. And it's funny that like there are things you'll do in an old car that you won't do in a new car. You ever pick up on that? We're just like, why, why are we parking out here? Well, those spaces were a little too thin. It's like, we're a quarter mile. I mean, we need water to get to this store alive in the Texas heat, right? But why? But she wasn't worried about that suburban like that. Like, bam, 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 right? But it's new. You got to like, protect this thing. I'm anxious. What if it gets a scratch? 
I've got to get this thing washed. Roll up your windows. The new car smell will get out. It's a weird, like you care about it in a way that's not wrong. God doesn't hate money. God doesn't, like if you're wealthy, praise God, it means God thinks you can be trusted with it. But if you make it your God, look, I don't know what tomorrow holds, but in this area of 401k makes us feel pretty safe. And I, I think you should, everything you can put in that mug, you should put in that mug. But whether it's enough on that day or not, it's completely out of your hands. Like how's that little nest egg doing this week? Hmm? Hmm? I know the answer. Not good. Like maybe next year we'll return. You know what? Never mind. Let's just push that out to 2028. Maybe. Right? You just, you can't control the future. So there's this kind of anxiety that takes over. There's this pull to numb things in you. And, and he's here going, no, no, no. Bring it to him. And if you bring it to him, he will be the more that you keep thinking you need. And, and I'm going to just say it plainly and clearly again. Jesus says that how you spend your money in particular is an MRI into what is preeminent in your soul. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So years ago, um, I got a CT scan when I had the brain cancer. I did the CT scan and they just saw this cloudy little gray figure in my right frontal lobe. And they're like, not quite sure what that is, so let's do the MRI. And then after the MRI, they were like, you've got a golf ball sized tumor in your right frontal lobe. We need you to go see a surgeon. The MRI was able to make clear what the CT scan just showed in a shadow. And if we were to talk about what's preeminent to you, what's first and best to you, you might point out church attendance. You might point out where you've come from. You know, you used to get high and now you don't, or, or you used to do this and now you don't. But Jesus is, that's not the MRI to what's first and best to you. What's first and best to you is found in your wallet. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And yet we rarely think of money that way. Gosh, in fact, I, I can feel it in me right now going, really? really? I mean, is that really how, like first and best, how do you even define that? That's two weeks from now. Um, but, but I want to end, I, I want to end with this. In, in Mark 10, and I'm going to, I do this if you're, if you're a first time. This is my Bible over here. In a minute, I'm going to walk over there. And that means complete conjecture. Okay. Book conjecture. We got it. We good. All right. Thank you. There's this story in Mark 10 that I find beautiful. It's the story of the rich young ruler. So there's this young man. He's done very well for himself. And, and yet he, he's got some internal angst. And if you go read Mark 10, I'll put up a text here in a minute, but, but he runs and he blocks Jesus's way. Like Jesus is trying to get out of town and this man falls at his feet and it falls at Jesus's feet. And he says, good teacher, what must I do to be saved? And Jesus said to him, why do you call me good? Only God is good. You know, the law don't. And, and Jesus quotes some of the law to him. And, and the young man says to him, I have done those things since I was young. I've been doing that my whole life. Now look at, look at the response that, that Jesus gives here. And Jesus 
looking at him, what does it say? Loved him. This isn't one of the Pharisees or Sadducees that's trying to bait Jesus, that's trying to defame Jesus. This is a man who can't figure out he's done all the moral law perfectly, then he's got pockets for days. He's like, how can I be saved? And Jesus looks at him and and his zeal and desire to know. And it says he loved him. Jesus loved this man. And then this is what he says. You lack one thing. Go sell all that you have and give to the poor. And you will have treasure in heaven and come and follow me. This is a heartbreaking passage. Disheartened by the saying, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possession. Jesus loved him. He feels stuck. You've got an idol. You've got a first and best that's coming between you and me. You want that more that you can't find? Mr. God, big barns and vats exploding. You got cash for days. You want that more that all your moral uprighteousness can't purchase for you? You want that thing that you feel gnawing in your soul to finally be satisfied? I must be preeminent. I must be first and best. And the idol was too big for him. But I think he eventually came around. So he leaves, he's sorrowful when he leaves. Jesus gathers up the disciples and says, it's very difficult for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. In fact, easier is it for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to be saved. So Peter, you know, what will happen to us? How, who can, who can ever be saved? If the money moral people can't get saved, who will ever get saved? And Jesus gives him the famous, with man, this is impossible. But with God, all things are possible. So here's why I think, I'm over here. Here's why I think our boy came around. Because the pathway to your salvation and mine had a moment just like this. The spirit of the living God convicted our soul. You've got something that's more preeminent than me. And it felt like if we were to let go of that, it'd be death. If we were to let go and fully trust Jesus for everything, if we were really bring our whole selves and say, you are the authority over everything in my life. I'm living as you have revealed in your book through the power of your Holy Spirit for all the days of my life. You get the first and best of me, the first and best of my money, the first and best of my time. You are not my number one priority. You're the page that the rest of my life is written on. But you can't get there without this moment. You can't get there without Jesus saying, ah, there's this one thing between us. And so I think when you and I get to glory, I'm pumped about meeting our boy. Like I love everything about him, right? He's just doing his best. And and, and his money hadn't satisfied him. And you can see the level of deceit. Like this man knows his money can't get him life. Why else is he at the feet of Jesus? Like he knew it and he was so trapped by it. He was stuck. 
And I'm wondering if that's not some of you. And it might not be money. It might be something else that's preeminent in your life. Something else that gets your best and first, your first and your best. So if you're a Christian today, then I encourage you to create space sometime this week and look at it. Your wallet will not lie to you. You'll lie to you. Your wallet won't. What's first and best? Seriously. Like, look at your hours, how you spend your hours. Look at your, and, and it's a bit of a, like God wants us to play. It, there's nothing wrong. Look, it, this is the poverty mindset that would hit a church like this. Like go on vacation, man. Do something that makes you laugh till your face hurts. Go hunt big games. So, like whatever makes you like, woo, go do that. As long as your first and best is you, Lord, you, I want you. You're what I'm after. And, and even this part of play for me is because it restores and renews my zeal for you. This fuels my gratitude in a way that, that makes me want to give all the more to you. Even the things that I didn't even know I hadn't given, I want to give over to you. Again, this isn't a poverty mindset. This is a first and best mindset. This is you're the piece of paper. You're the piece of paper. And in this season of my life, this is a priority and this is a priority. And this is a, but but you're, you're what the priorities are written on. You're not my priority. You're my first and best. You're, you're preeminent in my life. So Christian, you, you got to do, you can't be a hearer of the word only. What does it look like for you to reorient again, first and best to Jesus? And then maybe you're in here and you, you have never heard the gospel like the way I've just shared it. Like what I'm talking to you about right now is the salvation of your soul. Like I said, I ain't taking no offering. I'm not after your money, but there's something else that's been preeminent and and you've never really come to that place where you've just surrendered fully to Jesus as first and best. You've kind of thrown him a bone. You know, he's like really grateful that you're on the team. You grew up in some really janky theology that, that says, you know, you, you can love Jesus and be a Christian without ever fully surrendering your life to him. He's actually really just grateful to have you on the team. He's got not a lot, a lot of good PR for him right now. So really grateful that you, uh, you identify as an evangelical. And yet the more that you're looking for is found in full surrender to Jesus. And so, man, listen, you've been coming to this church. This is what I want us to be about. Like, like I know this isn't the way you grow a big church. Like, I know some of you are going to leave here and go, they just want my money, even though I hadn't asked you for an offering. Why is that? Because you can't serve two masters. I'm just asking you to look into your own soul. And then if you're not a Christian, this is what it means to be a Christian. My life before you, your preeminent. You're what I need, what I want, what I'm after. Wherever you lead, I'll go. And so why don't you do me a favor? Why don't you bow your heads and close your eyes? I just want to ask you a question. Nobody's going to be looking around. And even if they were, I wouldn't worry about that. Wonder if you're here this morning, maybe you've been hanging out with us for a while. Maybe you just came with a friend. Maybe this is the first time you've ever been here. And if you were really honest, you would have to say, Jesus is not preeminent in my life. He, he, He is not where I am bringing my first and best. And I'm saying that not as a Christian. I'm saying that as someone who never fully surrendered. I have always held back on him. I have given Jesus parts of my life, but I have not given him my full 
life. And maybe today for the first time, the Holy Spirit is making you aware of that. And and what an amazing morning it would be to just finally, uh, as we read in the Proverbs, bring to him your whole life, your whole soul, your worries, your concerns, your money, your time, your relationships, and just lay it all at his feet and say, you will be preeminent. You lead me and I'm in. Listen, we just call that salvation, repentance from sin and walking in the newness of life that is this, Jesus as the trusted, preeminent king of our lives. And so if you're in here today and and you're saying, or you're watching this some point in the future, maybe right now, but maybe in the future, and you would say, I have never fully surrendered to Jesus. I have always withheld. I have always kept a little thing back for me. Maybe it's how I think about marriage or how I spend my money or how I uh, treat my kids or what I do at work. I have separated my life and I have never fully submitted to him. And I want to do that today. I want to, for the first time, really go, you have all of it. If that's you and you're in here today, would you just raise your hand and go, man, I, I've been withholding a lot from him. Praise God. Hey, don't, we're, we're kind of Baptocostal here. You can lay that, raise that hand up and we'll rejoice in it. Praise God. Why don't you put your hands down? In, in just a moment, I'm going to pray for us. I'm going to sing a little bit. And if you raise your hand and you're like, I have never fully surrendered to him. I've just never done it. I've always held back. And, and, and you're not a Christian that you're just referencing, oh man, I'm being convicted by the Holy Spirit that I, I, I've got to realign my life with his commands and his words, but you've like never fully said yes to Jesus. Man, I, I would love today that today would be the day of salvation for you. And so if you raised your hand, here's how I'd encourage you. In just a second, when we start to sing, I would encourage you to just pop up and in the back of the room, you're going to find some men and women along the back wall in front of the soundboard. And you just go to them and you just say, Hey, I'm laying it all down now. Not, not part of it, like all of it I'm laying down. And then we would love to pray with you. And if your game celebrate with you, be a baptism today. We got shorts and a t-shirt. Maybe you're here last week, so all the dude get in with his whole clothes. But we want to rejoice in the newness of life that you're saying yes, finally. You're saying, I'm not holding anything back any longer. I'm laying it down. What a day of rejoicing that could be for you, for us, for our family of faith here. Father, I bless these men and women in the name of Jesus. For those that raise their hand, give them courage. For my brothers and sisters in here, let us look at the MRI and be honest about just how sick we might be. Encourage our hearts to withhold nothing, to lay everything down. We bless you, thank you, praise you. It's for your beautiful name I pray. Amen.